The Offsite Podcast is presented by Offsite Consulting, offering financial consulting programs for small business owners and nonprofit leaders. Find Offsite on the web at auphsite.com. What happens when a leader drives an organization's decisions based on fear? In 2014, London-based consultant Roger Jones surveyed 116 CEOs for his column in the Harvard Business Review, and he uncovered some deep-seated fears that plague both entrepreneurs and leaders of large organizations, and they're the source of some bad decisions that folks like Darnell uncover when examining a company's books. It's the Offsite Podcast, episode number nine. I'm Joe Taylor, Jr., joined by founder and CEO of Offsite Consulting, Darnell Suleiman. Hey, how you doing, Joe? Welcome back. So, we've talked about this a lot in some other episodes. The theme for today is kind of the confidence game, right? How confident are you as a leader and are you too confident, right? So we'll talk (laughs) a little bit about that on the back end, but Mm -hmm. I want to dive into the link that we'll put in the show notes to what Roger Jones found out. And there's also a business consultant and an occupational therapist named Peter Shillard. He sums up imposter syndrome as what happens when competent people find it impossible to believe in their own competence. And it's actually the number one fear that Roger Jones found among CEOs for that Harvard Business Review study. So Valerie Young is an expert on imposter syndrome. She's the author of a book called The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women. And she says millions of people ranging from entrepreneurs to celebrities have a hard time internalizing their accomplishments. So I wanted to find out because you've been spending a lot of time, uh, not just growing your own business, but also working with folks who are growing organizations. You know, what do you do when you start to think that you might be the enemy? You might be the thing that's wrong. (laughs) Um, Wow. Good, great question. So now what I do is I really try to trace back my history, look at my successes um, acknowledge them, identify the details that allowed me to be successful. Just recently, um, I actually put together uh, something for um, stats for revenue. And to look at it on paper, I said, you know, <laughs> you did this. And, and, and as, a, uh, as a reminder that even though... Uh, quite possibly I can be going through a transition and a transition could just simply be that I'm learning that there are other uh, skills I need to apply, but that doesn't mean I, you know, somehow what I did in the past was just happenstance. No, 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 no. I think we, we often run into folks who are concerned about building, especially a startup or a small business or with some of the nonprofit organizations Mm -hmm. that you work with. Uh, there's this idea of what happens when you hit six figures, you know, like, oh, I'm a six figure organization all of a sudden. Right. And then you're a seven figure and then you're an eight figure. And and it almost seems like the moment you hit that milestone, it's almost immediately not good enough. Like, oh, six figures. What is that? Oh, I got to go to good. seven. Right. So, you know, when you're looking at it f- with your accountant's hat mm-hmm, on, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. what do you tell clients to look for as indicators that they're actually doing well? What do the numbers tell us about, no, you're not an imposter. This is real. 
I, I, you know, the, the, the immediate thing is revenue. But, uh, well, let me not just say revenue, return on your investments too. And sales, because, you know, you, 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 your sales may be high, but your overall operations, you, you're not, you know, you're not managing that well. But if you, you know, let me just use a charter school. If a charter school has a cap of 450 students they can bring in and they're all year round, they're at 450, but they have negative net income. It, well, it tells me that, okay, they know how to keep the students there. The problem is operations. You know, there, there may be some uh, areas, other areas that's too, we're spending way too much money on. Where I'm seeing the, the doubt comes in when they, and you brought this up in your question, when they're comparing themselves and they're still the new guy on the block. And these goals, they are real. You know, they're legitimate goals. So you hit your six figure, you hit your seven figure mark, and it's not good enough. What, what, you know, what made it not good enough? <laughs> so the real question is, you know, or the, for me, it's now take the time to enjoy that six figure mark, all the nuances of it. What did you learn? You know, sure, we want to go for the seven, but that doesn't mean we have to immediately transition to it. You know, find, you know, I guess, you know, the authentic voice for yourself and the company and how you believe it should move. And I think that's something that Valerie Young said in her book. One of the things that she says, people who think of themselves as frauds often get that way because they're holding themselves to standards that no one could ever meet consistently. Yeah. So where, and I'm learning that at, believe it or not, I'm learning it overall. The entrepreneur is so, if, if I guess it's if, if we did not have these standards, would we be able to break the barriers that we do? So that's, it's, it's, it's that you need that balance. I think too, one of the things that I'm observing is when we see the the distinction now between an early stage startup mm-hmm. that wants to become what folks in Silicon Valley are now calling a unicorn, the mm-hmm. idea that you had such explosive growth mm-hmm. that you went from three employees in a garage to a billion dollars <laughs> in market cap in mm-hmm. a year mm-hmm. versus a more typical small business like Mm -hmm. we would see throughout America, Mm -hmm. a solo business person, owner operator Mm -hmm. type thing. The expectations are hard to set. The benchmarks are hard to find. So you may be holding yourself to a completely irrational set of expectations. So how does somebody back out from a revenue line and think about What's the right growth pattern? How do I know if I'm kind of on the the right trajectory? You know, a couple episodes back, we talked about lifestyle. As you're talking, my brain said, you know, they have to also, before we even get to the business side, examine what are their needs, what are their wants, what are their goals. And then I also, you know, and align that with the business because, you know, you may have someone who they, you know, they're in te- they're in technology, but they were really looking at the basketball players as their goal. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, as their 
you know, I want to have a, a, a Lamborghini, like blah, 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 whoever. Is that realistic? So I think first, it, you know, and, I'm, and, and it's interesting because as I'm telling you, this is what I'm examining with myself. Look at your lifestyle. What's reasonable for this peer first in your lifestyle? How do you reconcile your lifestyle and how you want your company to grow? Do not buy into the hype. With, as you talked about, the unicorn merit badge, you know, as you're saying this, what happens is we we must really understand that the technology sector, the financial services sector are very unique. Uh, you know, hedge fund guys, you know, uh, the average company out there, hell, if we could take home 20 cents, 30 cents on our dollar, we're happy, <laughs> you know. Uh, but the booms that we see, and, and actually I was listening to Wharton School of Business yesterday, and, you know, one of the things they were saying with comparison, um, comparing iOS and Android, you know, they said now sometimes when you look at Android, and this is not to marginalize Android at all, they said sometimes it's like going to the movies and looking for the, the good hits. He said, but you got to also understand there are people, or he said, even like it's like a website. People attempted to put out something and he had a good idea and it didn't float. We, we can't buy into the hype that we see going on. And, and, and I'm not saying, you know, the West Coast produce good products, but does your does the field that you're in reflect that? Does the industry you're in reflect that? What does it, you know, QuickBooks now has a, um, when you sign up for QuickBooks, they have a little search engine that compares your company to other mm. companies now, you know, a logarithm. And they'll tell you how you're competing. That's you know? great. I mean, yeah. so QuickBooks has that, a FreshBooks, which is an invoicing tool they that I've used, has something also? similar. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a good way to actually get out of your own head and say, if you're a, if you're a business that bills for products and services, yeah. the, this is what your peers do. Yeah. And, and it can show you you're on track or you're under. Yeah. But even then, I think if you back out to your lifestyle, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of each period, whether mm-hmm. you measure by the month or the quarter, mm-hmm. paycheck to paycheck, yeah, like did you come out with more than one dollar, yeah, to put in savings? Yeah. If so, you're probably doing okay. Probably doing okay, <laughs> right? Yeah. And yeah. I think that's the there's a piece of this that Young says in her book that a lot of people in America struggle with the idea of failure, and they don't know hmm. they don't quite know the distinction sometimes between a failure to launch a product or a service or a business versus that, that complete failure that comes with closing a business or going bankrupt or Mm -hmm. anything that, that is like real true failure, but all of these are survivable and people hold themselves to what she says. They feel that if they were really competent, they would never fail or make mistakes and realistically, the most successful people we know got to where they were by making mistakes, yeah. by being unafraid of, of failing. So how do you get yourself or clients psyched up to kind of take on the idea that there's some risk, mm-hmm. there may be failure? Mm-hmm. How do you overcome it? Ground them. Ground them in the data of the company. One client you know, they're, they're hesitant about adopting a budget and 
they're in their guts. They're like, we're going to we're going to operate on a what if scenario. Completely what if? Yeah. Or, or, or what do the they have now? Net. They have no budget. No, they they have one, but you know they're putting together another one. Yeah. Okay. So they the safety net budget is the one that they 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 feel comfortable enough with, and you have to give them the coach talk in the locker room, <laughs> and you know, and it's interesting because that's what I had to do. Look, listen, y'all, we can do this. You know, we've invested X amount of dollars over here in professional services to for these people to drive this towards this result. We can do this now. And there's no reason why we should fall short of that. You know, it's interesting because one of the questions I've been wrestling, I've been trying to understand with them is why and is, do you believe that you do not deserve this? You know? Because even as you know, as entrepreneurs, that's what we go through, you know. And I think when you and I had to talk about this maybe three months ago, you know, by the third, the first year, you're like, you're all psyched up. You want to go out there, we're going to conquer the world. Second year is like, oh my God, this is not going to fly. Third year is like, yo, we actually pulled that off. I don't know what's next. But that's the stage. Now, because there are outside external forces coming at us, you know, business is dynamic. Now, and, and also when you're growing a business, you're operating in a business, you're dealing with people, personalities, you seem to lose at time the confidence because you're now learning other, other, fa- other items or facets or activities of the, or of the company and how it needs to operate. It's okay. Step back, do like I did, take a four-day vacation, get grounded again, again in what you know, and begin to take it, you know, uh, you know, put together uh, an outline or a model from there, you know, but always get the clients grounded in the numbers and and, and then go give your, your coach locker room speech. Yeah. And, the, and that locker room speech actually makes a difference. What Young says in her book is that you have the same physical reaction from fear that you get from excitement. Hmm. And if you, as an entrepreneur <laughs> or as a leader, if you surround yourself with folks who are part of a success team, part yeah. of that commitment. And this is where that that team mentality kicks in because mm-hmm. I think a lot of the imposter syndrome stuff is totally inside your own head. Yeah, I can't imagine being in a board meeting where a, a, a member of the board tells the chair that they're an imposter. I don't yeah. think that really happens yeah. In, yeah. in our culture. We, we tell this stuff in our heads. Mm-hmm. And so if you've got the external factors. You've mm-hmm. got the numbers, you've mm-hmm. got the data yeah. and you've got people that can bounce that data around with you. Mm-hmm. You can turn that fear yeah. into excitement. And now your adrenaline's working for you instead of against you. Yeah. So that kind of is a broad way of showcasing the importance of the governance aspects of business. You know, why do we have accountability sessions? Why mm-hmm. do we have minutes and board meetings? Mm-hmm. Like some of it is so that we we leave that trail of evidence to show what we accomplished. That's right. Yeah. Now, one thing we talked about a little bit before we started rolling, Mike, mm-hmm. um, there's a little, there's a little controversy around this idea, but what about the idea of fake it till you make it? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's never good. 
here's the thing. Cause you have to you have to now think of, you know, the proportion. What happens if, you know, you go into an interview and you're just a good speaker? You're good, I mean, and you're a good salesman. And you sold yourself. Now, and out of that, you know, the fake it till you make it versus actual competency, your fake it's 80%. And you get the job. They push you, put you in there. And they are they already have this expectation that you're gonna perform. Boom, you fall short. To me, that would hurt <laughs> my self-esteem <laughs> a lot. So I would say it's better, it's much better to have the competency to deliver a product and be able to address yourself and say, you know, because see, that's actually a, a conversation of humility with yourself, you know, and you being aware of of your own strengths and your own weaknesses. In a, in a, in a documentary or a podcast I heard, they said normally when, when we're examining uh, car accidents, they said a majority of car accidents is because people were overconfident. Wow. <laughs> yeah. They were too, you know, so they- not, that's not even talk about intoxicated. Yeah. They just were just too over, confident. Yeah, too confident. And when I heard that, so now when I drop, I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> no, real, like when I first heard that for like the first 90 days, I kid you not. And even now I'm, I'm very, cause I don't, I don't want to be so overconfident in my driving where I'm in an accident, but how often, you know, and go back, you know, look at, you know, it's nothing wrong with self-evaluation, professional development with, with yourself, going back, reading a little more, examining the work you produce, go, you know, so, you know, and, and here's the thing, and I think many of us do not value this. There's no limitation about what, you know, what you can learn to enhance your knowledge. You can go out, no one's stopping you from building up you and, 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 and what I call human capital. No one. So it's, to me, it's always better to go and get what you need to know and get around people who can assist you also. And I think the, the key thing here is what is your intent? It's a much different thing if you set out on a journey with a specific intent to lie or be <laughs> deceitful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, but it also reminds me of the Seinfeld episode where George says, it's not a lie if you believe it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the, the key thing is if you're in a situation where you're presented with an opportunity, mm -hmm. if you know yourself enough Mm -hmm. well yeah to be able to commit to learning that skill or That's enhancing right. that skill mm -hmm. within the scope of the time that you know you need to have it ready by mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so if someone offers you that opportunity and you know you don't know how to do x y or z but you can say to yourself i'll commit to learning that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i'll have it by the time i need it yeah that's one thing that you can do yeah to say yeah i'll, I'll get that skill yeah. It's a complete other thing. And I think we'll talk about this toward the end of the show when we talk about being overconfident, mm -hmm. what the impact of that is mm -hmm. to just say yes and have no idea what it is that you're actually getting yourself into. Yeah. But I think the, the key thing is, is acting as if, you know, telling yourself, 
what would someone who knows how to fill this role yeah. do? What, what, what does that look like? I think in coaching, a really good technique uh, is to not necessarily try to convince the person that they're innately capable of something because we won't believe you. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. But you can say, well, what if you acted as if you were a CEO taking your company yeah. from six to seven figures? Yeah. What would a CEO who's done that look like? Yeah. What would they act like? And if you emulate that, yeah. now it's not necessarily faking it. It's I'm going to walk in the path of someone that's done this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And before long, you integrate those actions and values into, right. into your routine. That's right. Then you get to the seven figure and complain that you're not making eight. Yeah. And that's a yeah. <laughs> different story. Yeah. Well, let's take a break for a moment and remind listeners that Offsite Consulting provides financial consulting programs for small business owners and nonprofit leaders. Darnell and his team manage vendors, reconcile bank accounts, and handle tax filings while helping clients focus on long-term revenue growth and tax minimization. You can find out more by visiting Darnell and his team on the web at auphsite.com. So a, a couple other things that Roger Jones found in his survey, that leaders fear. Uh, and, and we'll cover three more right here. The first one is underachieving. <laughs> and and this is where, again, it comes back to that idea of benchmarking. If you're concerned that compared to somebody else, you're underachieving, uh, one of the impacts is you can take bad risks, right? That's right. That's so right. tell me about some times where you've help clients escape that trap when they're about to take a big, bad risk. What do you do to show them that maybe it's not in their best interest or maybe there's another path? I always show them the numbers. I show them the comparative analysis against other people in the market, you know, their, their competition. A lot of times it's their image of who they believe they, they should be when it comes to um, them having that, that idea in their head. Then there are times I just say you're stupid. <laughs> I mean, like, like that's little, just uh, dumb. Yeah, I, I mean, a little more soft. You know, if they come to me and they can't convince me of the idea, and I've been a serial entrepreneur of twenty years, yeah, and I've I've done it all a lot. I think so, it comes back yeah. to the idea of benchmarking that we talked about, mm-hmm. where. If you have a good sense of where you are on your path. Yeah. So that first circle is, are you getting your own needs met? Yeah. The second circle being, you know, is your team getting their needs met? Mm -hmm. Are you able to uh, grow the team, invest in their careers? And then that third piece is, okay, now compared to our cohort, our peer group, not necessarily the competition. I've, I've, I know I have fallen down that rabbit hole where mm-hmm. I've looked at my business and said, well, here's another business that's like mine. And at year, the, at year three, they were at this t- yeah. amount of revenue. Yeah. And, and I had to kind of snap myself out of it and remember like, they don't do what we do. Yeah. And we do what we do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I think that benchmarking is key. I think it's also the idea of, What's an acceptable risk, right? It, you know, and, and thank you. I, I, I needed to hear Joe remind me. So, you know, I have a client, you know, they want to purchase an asset, six to 10 million. So I said, okay. 
And part of me says, mm, they may not be able to pull this off. But then if I look at the numbers, they accept the model, an operating model I'm going to give them, we can pull this off. And it's not hard for us to pull it off. It's, do you believe you can pull it off? Oftentimes, they have the, the ability to accomplish their goal. What I find is they may not want to accept the, uh, accept the model of how they need to operate to get it, which is very, uh, discipline. Find, like you said, finding the benchmarks, meeting them, you know, perform, you know, a, a follow-up assessment, find new benchmarks. And I think often as consultants, it's our job to hear their goal, hear their ideas, hear, you know, you know, they're, they're really hyped about them and, and bring, marry the reality. <laughs> you figure out, all right, well, here's what's going on. Yeah. So you know, it's great that you want to win the triple crown, but you're like six foot three. How are you going to jockey that horse? And, and, right? and, and let me even <laughs> present this idea. I was washing dishes the other day and I said this. I said, it's interesting. Is it easier to become a millionaire by hard work than versus winning a lottery? A lot of people would say the lottery. But those of us know you have better chances through hard work, dedication, discipline, than one in a lottery. If you scale back just the odds, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. The, so the chance, the overall chance. The overall chance. That at some point, if you, if you make the measurement, because mm-hmm. this is pretty fascinating, the measurement is at some point in your life, you have $1 million in a bank account yeah. that's liquid. You yeah. just touch it, right? Yeah. And two ways in America that we know how to do it, other than steal, you know, some, <laughs> right? I've heard the, the old adage, how do you, how do you make a million dollars? Well, you start with two. <laughs> I like that. Right? So, so the idea would be your typical lottery gives you one in 18 the odds zillion odds, yeah. right? But what are, what are the odds if you start at an early age mm-hmm. and get involved in entrepreneurship? Yeah. What yeah. are the odds if you get the right kind of training? Mm-hmm. What are the odds if you get a good mentor? Like each mm-hmm. one of those moves that yeah. you make yeah. reduces, you know, puts the odds more in your favor mm-hmm. each step yeah. along the way. So so in that way, we could look at it as you're mitigating risk mm-hmm. incrementally. Yeah. As opposed to just taking that one, I'm going I'm to put $10 down and see one of these 10 tickets is going to win. Yeah. 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 Because- to be open, you know, it's few countries slash environments where you can go and you can say, I got an idea. I'm going to get some girls who look fly, serve burgers with miniskirts, and I'm going to make some money. And it might cost you your first little spot like this may cost you maybe capital opening a hundred Maybe not even that. It could be a little hole in the wall. We've seen hole in the walls, you know, and maybe that first year you're doing well, maybe the fifth year you're franchising and probably by the 15th year, you're well into maybe net income, maybe 20 million. Only in America, you know, and not to say it like that, but versus yeah, you could take that ticket 
It's spend that twenty dollars every month, and it still wouldn't and- get you anywhere. <laughs> I'm thinking specifically about uh, a couple of books I've read by Howard Schultz, who uh, essentially founded Starbucks. Mm-hmm. And what folks often gloss over is that he actually founded a competitor of Starbucks, and then bought Starbucks, merged his company into Starbucks, and that is what we now know as the organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 30 years ago, Starbucks was one more little cappuccino place. And I think yesterday I heard a news report about the price hike for the latte yeah. at, at Starbucks, five cents more. Yeah. And they were covering it the way that you would cover oil prices, like yeah. oil futures. Like this is going to be a huge impact on the economy, yeah. everybody. The latte is going to be 20 cents more. <laughs> we're going to just brace ourselves yeah. for. for like, so within 30 years, right, yeah. within like a generation and a half, mm-hmm. you went from one more little coffee shop on the block yeah. to something that can move a market just by marking yeah. up a price five cents. Yeah. Right. I think every company that exists was probably mocked by somebody at some point. Yeah. And so that that underachieving thing Mm -hmm. is one thing that you can look at and say, all right, again, you might be holding yourself to an inappropriate standard. Mm -hmm. You know, you compare entrepreneurs. Ralph Roberts founded Comcast. Mm -hmm. Passed away. Oh yeah, recently. I, I just I just saw. And mm-hmm. he is the age I am now when he founded Comcast. Only in America. Okay? So, <laughs> and then fifty some odd yeah. years later, yeah, massive organization. Yeah. And I think that's a great story to look at because right. the flip side is somebody like Richard Branson, who very clearly went in at age 16, 17 with student magazine and was in that world from day one, Mm -hmm. you don't all, not all of us have the same path. That's right. To get there. And that's an important thing that entrepreneurs often gloss over. Usually around the time when we start seeing things like 30 under 30, Mm -hmm. you know, I haven't appeared on any of those lists in a long time, Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) but that's the thing. Like, what are you comparing yourself to? And it's good to just fall back on those more internal metrics. Like here's where I am now. Here's where I want to be in a year. And it doesn't matter what so-and-so is doing. You can block those folks out. I was thinking about purchasing a home in, you know, West Monterey, you know, you're familiar. And I just had to have this talk with myself. I said, you know what you like, and you know the level of output you have to do. And every now and then, I have to ground myself. Don't believe the hype. Now, that house you want, minimum maybe half and half a million, and that may not be this year. They may be two more years out. You you, you definitely have to build, continue to build your, your base, your client base, but I remember asking myself, where did this idea come from? Is it really rooted in you or is it an external influence mm. that you have to compete? You know, yep. so. Well, along the same lines, the other fear factor that uh, Roger found in his list was the idea that if you appear too humble or vulnerable, 
you're going to be open to attacks, either political attacks within your organization. Mm -hmm. And mind you, he was mostly interviewing CEOs of larger organizations Mm -hmm. and what they're bringing up. And I know you've seen this within nonprofit boards, Mm -hmm. the idea that someone that seems weak, Mm -hmm. vulnerable, you know, could be the subject of an attack, a power grab. Someone's going to go at you. Right. So what, that makes you do what most of us do if we start to feel that way is two things. We're going to be mistrustful. We're Mm -hmm. going to stop listening to Mm -hmm. advice and we're going to do the opposite. We're going to overanalyze the risk Mm -hmm. and become overcautious. So tell me a little bit about times when you've had to advise clients to actually step up and take a chance and actually roll the dice a little bit. Two clients, we're, we're working with that now, uh, two different clients, and very similar where one particular person, very laid back, and he's not as, as aggressive, but and he started getting into <laughs> pontification in his head. <laughs> and what I had to slowly do was first, me as a consultant, stop feeding into, you know, pouring gas on the situation. <laughs> Because that can happen. So my brain said, no. Present the data. Tell him, here's what we can do. We can accomplish that. If I see them go off into the tangent, and and a couple times, maybe three weeks ago, they didn't like it, bring them right back to the data. Yep. You can become uh, mistrustful. You're not not trusting. No, you know, if you have committed violators of your own personal ethics, acknowledge them. If it's not you and it's them, put put that concern where it belongs, but do not let that dictate, you know, towards your own, your outcomes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that leads us into things that can happen if you are too confident. <laughs> A quick reminder, Offsite Consulting provides financial consulting programs for small business owners and nonprofit leaders. You can find out more by visiting Darnell and his team on the web at offsite.com. That's A-U-P-H-S-I-T-E.com. So the final segment, we talked about it before, and you mentioned it to me as what you call founder's syndrome. This happens pretty frequently with folks that (laughs) launch organizations. Hmm. Peter Shillard says there's actually a psychological term for this. It's what happens when your confidence outstrips your competence and it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. It actually like has a, a name. Yeah, <laughs> give me the Dunning-Kruger. And so this is, according to him on his website, he says, uh, this is a cognitive bias in which unskilled people suffer from illusory superiority, mistakenly rating their abilities much higher than average. And I think where we've encountered this is that where you have someone that excels in one aspect of their life, And they start to think that because they're so good at that, they're good at everything. I heard doctors are like this. I've heard this and I've experienced this as well. I've probably told you this story, but there's a doctor I respect very, I I admire this guy. He's the father of a good friend of mine. And he came to an event that we did and um, he was having difficulty actually getting through the door. He couldn't figure out that there was this uh, security door that where we were, that you had to press this button to unlock <laughs> the door before you could pull on it. 
And this is becoming kind of a common thing in certain office buildings. Mm -hmm. And so it's a glass door. He's pulling, tugging, tugging, tugging on it. And we're kind of gesturing to him like you have to press the button first. Yeah. And he's just pulling, 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 pulling. Now, he's a neurosurgeon. This is a smart guy. He actually pulled so hard that the door frame fell out. Yeah. And and almost fell on him. Like Mm. it just missed his head by an inch. And so at that point, I think any typical person would stop. I think I'm not getting anywhere, but no, this doctor starts yanking on the door even harder. Like he's going to just by sheer force, he's going to get through this door. And so I bring that up as an example of you can be an incredibly smart individual and Mm -hmm. you can excel in the thing that makes you great. Mm -hmm. That usually means that you're not going to be that double, triple, quadruple threat you know, and this is why it's important to build out teams that can mm-hmm. support you. That's right. If you're exceptional in a key area, mm-hmm. you know, um, in the E-Myth series of books, mm-hmm. the authors make pretty big distinctions between the technician and the manager, right? Mm-hmm. The technician being someone that's excellent at a skill, but rarely has the ability to transition into a role where they are managing people that do that skill. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's where you get a lot of conflict between people that we see in development teams. Mm -hmm. Like, are you a coder or are you a project manager? That's right. You could be a project manager that used to code because you're better at project managing, Mm -hmm. but it's hard to make the transition. That's right. Sometimes. That's right. Same thing for, for a lot of other areas. So in, in your case, Often you're called in because someone who's exceptional in one area is sorely lacking in fiscal mm-hmm. oversight, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about what happens when you see somebody getting far too confident in their abilities. <laughs> what are the risks and how do you talk them out of that? Oh, I, I normally, it's interesting, I normally start with the regulators to bring them back to, to reality. So, I mean, you, in terms of carrot and stick, you have a pretty big stick mm-hmm. because if they're not going to hear feedback from you, they'll hear it soon from the, the IRS, the FTC. The CPA. Yeah. yeah people, the with, people with letters, yeah. letters, mm-hmm. letters, letters yeah, are letters. coming. Yeah. So, because I'm, you're trying to get them to be humble <laughs> and... Often, it's this mind game that even though they're paying me all this money, they're familiar with my track record, you know, somehow I, I still don't know what I'm talking about. So I'll say, look, if you don't do this, yes, Justice Department can come. If you don't do this, the IRS. If you don't do this, you'll have external uh, regulators come in and give you more pressure. They don't hear them. Then I, and, and I'll take the time to really go in and see what's, what, what's going on in your head that you are unable to hear the facilitation I'm, I'm trying to give you. And what I, and what I used to do was, was actually back away real fast. Cause I'm like, they don't want to hear me. But I said, no, don't do that. Change, communicate better. Listen to what they're asking for. 
give them a memo of whether it can be achieved, whether it's, it's not plausible, but have the data. There used to be a time where I could just sit a, a big, thick binder and say, here's the reasons why. That doesn't, because, you know, did you, they came out with a report since the you know intervention of internet. People think they're smarter. It's true. And I'm like, really? That's, come on, y'all. I, I yeah. think I saw that study where they, they did a study of people who were uh, highly trained in specific areas and compared them to people who had spent a lot of time doing internet searches on those things. And the people who had not gone to school for, say, <laughs> accounting said that they were fantastic accounting yeah. because they had spent time on Google. Yeah. Versus people who were, you know, CPAs. And and mm-hmm. I think that uh, a lot of the criticism we've heard leveled against millennials, you know, mm-hmm. the younger generation, is that they're the first group that's excellent at finding information, but they don't necessarily have a desire to carry around a lot of information. So yeah. if you're good at saying, I don't know, let's find out together, yeah. it's one thing. But I think that where we see in, I know I see it in some of my clients, the conflict between the baby boomer in the boardroom, the Gen Xer who's in mm-hmm. the the conference room, and the millennial on the front line. The millennial <laughs> doesn't wow. read the manual until the thing breaks, and then it's like, oh, I was supposed to read yeah. or understand yeah. that. I just thought I would just look it up as as I go, you know. And I, I think that's the that's where we are right now. Where I I observe a lot of folks will launch organizations, nonprofits or startups, Mm -hmm. because lately uh, what I observe is they're watching a lot of Shark Tank. Yep. They're watching a lot of (laughs) reality shows. And let's talk about it. Because see, when when we watch, when I was in Orlando, I was on the same floor of Orlando Magic, staying with them. So as I'm looking at these guys, I was like, yo, they're real tall. But my brain said, these men are handpicked. So first, there are anomalies right from the door. Yeah. So you got to take that in consideration. You're in a statistician's best scenario to start measuring things all over that floor. So then I'm 5'10". I can't compete with these guys. So because why? You know, whoever's pulling the strings, they they can produce this reality. Then one of the things I said, wow, I'm in a hotel on the same floor. Now, that did give me a sense of, hmm, I could compete with the big boys, I think. <laughs> but then my brain said, no. Yeah. This was booked out a year in advance. <laughs> so This is not necessarily the universe telling you yeah, something. Exactly. This is just and a statistical exactly. anomaly. You have to, because, and so when we talk about the ego, or first, when we, when we look at Shark Tank, when we look at, you know, we have, in America, sure, only in America could you work out your garage, have a Dale, have an Apple. It's beautiful. You know, uh, Starbucks. But when you go back and ask those people how, and I just read how much they sacrificed their children, their personal lives, the, the physical impact. The, you know, three o'clock in the morning, God, <laughs> or you got your idea or you're trying to work with a client, trying to communicate something, they'll tell you, you know, 
But if you're if you're watching the, the, the I don't know what channels they are. I like the prophet. I do. The prophet's excellent. You know why? Because like, he brings you back to reality. He's very much. <laughs> I, I think I know why you like the prophet because he's very much data driven. Yeah. Because I think that's the only mm-hmm. show I've seen that actually does correct business data analysis. Yeah. Because they'll put it up on that virtual whiteboard and mm-hmm. say, well, this this place sells burgers for 10 yeah. bucks. If everybody buys a shake for five bucks, we're now up and, and it's like $87,000 a year just from teaching the cashier to do a better job of upselling. Yeah. Right. Like things like that that are not about personality mm-hmm. or not about anything other than core business yeah. stuff. Yeah. The thing that makes TV interesting are those personality clashes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all the other drama yeah. that we watch TV for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I like that show because it does draw out the the data a lot more. Because usually what happens is he'll show that. It makes perfect sense. And then there's a co-founder. There's so, always some student in every episode <laughs> who's just kind of like, no, no, I said, no, yeah. we don't make shakes here. Yeah. It's yeah. like, no, you're going to make an extra hundred grand a year, you yeah. dummy. Yeah. So, and, that, and, and it's funny because then he'll just be like, well, I'll just take my money and walk away. And then yeah. the show ends. <laughs> and, and, and that's why. Because when we, you know, we're, we're bombarded all day that in order for you to be someone, you have to be the all there can be in magic. That's not. And that goes back to, is that realistic? Yeah. You know, you can you can make now if I did say if somebody said to me, Darn well, how much you need to live? I tell you, look, you better make two fifty. I'm gonna be open with you. Cause you know, okay, can you can you, you know, when I say two fifty a household, if if you're doing sixty, and I'm and I love my people out there, I want you to you know, listen, you, you you better pull up a little more and add try to add another twenty onto that. I, I, I do clearly understand there are different environments, eco environments we all come from. Understand your eco environment and producing that. TV is a good motivator for inspiration, but not as actual facts. Mm. So, and I think yeah. that's a it's a good thing for us to close out on because again, the idea is what are your benchmarks, which has been the theme of this episode. And if you're benchmarking yourself against the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Oh, please. You're <laughs> going to have a tougher time yeah. than if you're benchmarking against the folks that live in the neighborhood you want to move into, which, you know, folks who are listening to us who are in New York or San Francisco, listen to us talk about a really nice half a million dollar home and mm-hmm. think like, I can't even buy a phone booth for that yeah. in, in where I live, Yeah, which is what makes Philly a great place for businesses to yeah. grow. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, but, but that's the thing, like you have to just figure out what's your benchmark That's right. and is it realistic mm-hmm. and look at the glamour stuff as evidence on the back end that you've accomplished mm-hmm. something, yeah. but that can't be the, the benchmark that That's you right. use or you're in for a lot of hurt. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, now that we've established that you should be watching The Prophet and not necessarily <laughs> The Real Housewives, we hope you'll continue to listen to the Offsite Podcast. On behalf of Darnell Suleiman, I'm Joe Taylor Jr. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Joe. 
This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions stated represent those of the speakers and not those of their employers, the producers, 2820 Press, or any program sponsors. This podcast does not constitute legal, business, or financial advice, nor should you take any action on anything you hear during this podcast without consulting a competent advisor. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or blog. This has been a 2820 Radio Production.